You're listening to the Hub City Church Podcast. To learn more about Hub City Church, including our gathering times, you can check out our website at albanyhubcity.com. Good morning. So, um, do we have any Audible fans in here? You like listening to, to books? Yeah. I've discovered I really enjoy listening to books. I love reading and learning, but listening is the way to go. And um, on Audible, or probably anywhere, you can get the entire compilation of C.S. Lewis's Narnia books on Audible, and they're all voiced and awesome. And uh, so I got it, and my kids and I have been listening to it, and Christy, and been listening to it, and it's been so great, and they've gone all the way through it, and they're going back, and my oldest is starting to see connections, which are so great. If you've done all the books, it's pretty awesome how Lewis draws it out. Uh, but they've been listening to, they went back and started listening to Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe again, which is probably the most known, probably, um, and there's movies about it and stuff. Um, so, and they love it so much, so much so that actually for, uh, for Halloween this year, inspired by the Young family, thank you, uh, we dressed up as uh, Narnians this year for Halloween. So that's us right in front of our house. So, so Jonah is, uh, he's King Peter, obviously, and uh, Peyton in the front, little, little Lucy, and then Queen Susan there uh, with Elliot. Christy was the White Witch, <clears throat> um, which really was the excuse to wear a really comfy blanket. <clears throat> and you'd say, oh, Matt, what, what were you, like Aslan or Mr. Tumnus or like something like that? And I was like, no, I tried to match the 1980s BBC version of the giant rumble buffin, as I found here on YouTube. So if you know that one, that version of it, it's the way to go. And I didn't have to dress up much. So um, anyways, we love that so much. And I want to read, there, there's a part of it, of course, there's a point to all that. Um, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, this queen has kind of taken over all of Narnia. She's taken over, and uh, basically the phrase they use is, it's always winter and never Christmas. Yeah, always winter and never Christmas. So it's basically that joy you get, that hope you get of the snows coming, the, it's, it's that time of year, and then it's Christmas. That just that never fulfills. It never comes to be. And um, there's this beautiful part in the narrative where it's kind of miserable. It's always winter. Everyone's scared. And um, the children are kind of running away, and the queen has been riding around on the sleigh to try to, to try to catch the kids. And they hear the sleigh bells ringing, and they're coming, and they think the white witch is here. And um, they come out of their little hole, if you know the story. And instead of the witch, they actually run into jolly old Father Christmas, which is so exciting. He starts handing out gifts and the sign of Father Christmas in the book was kind of the sign that the witch's magic was weakening, that something was starting to happen. And at the same time as that, one of the boys, Edmund, he is captured by the white witch and he's actually in her sleigh and they're traveling around and he starts to notice something. In this frost, in the winter, he starts to notice something. I want to read it to you, what he starts to notice. It says, all around them, though out of sight, there were streams chattering, bubbling, splashing, and even in the distance, roaring. And his heart gave a great leap, though he hardly knew why, when he realized that the frost was over. You can hear that. There's snow everywhere. It still is winter, but they can start to feel the frost to melt. And that is the imagery that I want us to have in our mind today as we focus on the word hope. 
as we focus on the first day of Advent, the, the idea of the darkness, that winter, that what the witch represented of the opposite of light and hope, it started to recede. It started to go away, proclaiming today the good news of God's glorious kingdom coming to earth is just like them yelling, Aslan is on the move, the snow is melting. And Jesus is on the move, and this is hope. And hope is one of those terms that like everyone knows what it is and feels like, but you can't really produce on your own. All right, hope is a word full of anticipation, full of tension, full of wonder. It's anticipation because it's something that has not happened yet. It's tension because it may not happen. And it's wonder because if it happens, it'll be incredible. But the reason for hope <clears throat> is because there is sorrow. Right? We wouldn't have hope if there wasn't the opposite of that. There is grief, there is pain, there is sadness. In a lot of scenarios now and in our histories, there's been a lot of hopelessness. But hopelessness is not just a lessening of hope. It's lessening of anything to have hope in. It's not just not being optimistic. It's a loss of what there's even to be optimistic about. So hopelessness is truly about something being lost. So the solution, hopefulness, is then in something being found. In our scriptures, there's a constant visual for this loss and, loss and found dynamic, and it comes in the form of light and darkness. And just I'm going to take a few minutes and kind of look at what God shows us from the beginning and then in Jesus and then towards the end and kind of see this light and the darkness motif. Genesis 1, we all know it well. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Darkness was there in the beginning, the face of the deep, while the Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. And we're not going to get in the weeds of all that poetic language and beauty, but the scene tells us that this, there's this chaotic nothingness of darkness. And the Spirit of God, though, was on the move and bringing order to that chaos. And what was the first act of order? In the beginning, God, by his very word, brought forth light to the world that was darkness. Genesis 1-3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. God brought the light into the darkness. It wasn't brought on by man or by good deeds or good circumstances. It was God who brought light. And God intentionally separated and made light and darkness two different distinct things. This light was given governors of sun and moon to watch over the day and night in the expanse of the sky. <clears throat> Genesis 1.16, and God made the two great lights, <clears throat> excuse me, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Just like God gave the earth to humans to govern for him, he created the sun and the moon to watch over and govern the day and the night, to bring order to the time and the seasons. 
But despite the light, humans were plunged once again into the chaotic darkness represented by sin. And as long as history is recorded, we've witnessed the same darkness take form in humanity. But despite the hopelessness and loss of the situation, God always found ways to give little bits of hope. Time after time, when all seemed lost, there was a word to hold fast to a hope, a hope that once again God could bring light into the darkness. The ancient Israelites would talk regularly about this hope of light in reciting the Psalms and the prophets. Let me read a few to you. David wrote Psalm 18, For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. David again writes fearlessly Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The psalmist, Psalm 119, 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Again, Psalm 139, David writes, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. When Israel was taken and exiled by Assyria, God gave the remnant this future hope through Isaiah, Isaiah 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Later, <clears throat> Isaiah speaks of even the governors of the sun and the moon that we read about, that God created would one day no longer be needed because the Lord himself would be with his people and be their light. Isaiah 60, the sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. They recited these over and over, and there's so many more. Time and time again, the ancient Israelites attributed this light, this hope, little glimmer of hope in the darkness to God. And they sought after it to shine in the darkness. But at the same time, God's creation has this fundamental issue that started in the very beginning of no longer seeking the light of God, but trying to produce that same light in and of themselves. And this led to horrible decisions. We have a whole Bible full of them. Making of Israel's leaders because of what was perceived as light in the heart of man is really deception that was more in line with darkness. Israel was becoming less and less distinguishable as the people of light, the people of God, and more and more looking just like the darkness and blending in with the world. And then we get to the Gospels. The various angles of the story of God on earth, Emmanuel, in the person of Jesus, the candle lit in the midst of surrounding darkness. John kicks off his gospel retelling with a much different formula than the other gospel writers, different than Matthew, as we've been walking through. He's not jumping into a classic narrative of genealogies or stories of Jesus here on earth. He goes right into the reality of Jesus as the light coming to dwell with his people. He was the word made flesh, so that he could dwell among his people. And this is how John describes what that means, John 1, 4 and 5. 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Christ is life, and that life of Christ is the light of mankind. Once again, going back to God being, once again, the source of the light, not mankind on their own. It was only the light of God that could pierce the darkness. Jesus says this of himself, John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus, in his being, brings the hope to the hopelessness of man. Man had lost all objects of hope that would fulfill for them what they could not. And then when all those fail, they turn into themselves for hope, which is even worse, creating no hope at all. In chapter 1 of John, he continues, 1-9, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. The advent, the arrival of Christ was to bring the light of God into this world of darkness for the lost to be found. And the people who should have recognized and believed did not, but God has given the opportunity for all who do receive and believe to become children of light, children of that hope, found and welcomed sons and daughters of God. For them to watch the darkness not only recede in their own life through God's work, but then to be an active agent for that light wherever they're at in the world. And that goes for us today. Whatever neighborhood you live in, whatever job you work, whatever family you have, you and I have the opportunity to be a beacon of hope. Not because of your awesomeness, but because of what God has done in us. And what he does in us, he wants to do through us. The life change that God does in and you and me speaks for itself. Those who are wandering around in the darkness can't help but see your light. We need to believe that. Those who are hopeless can't help but see a people who are full of hope in someone. The hope has come in Jesus, but he's not done yet. I want to read us a description of something that we deeply long and hope for. Revelation 21 tells us of a fully realized kingdom of God here on earth. And there's much that's confusing in the book. And it's less about end times and more about the revealing of God coming into the world fully. But I want to read a description John gives of what he sees as the kingdom of God in full. And there's a few details in here that I'm not going to talk about, like how many jewels and the measurements of the streets and all that kind of stuff. But I want us to listen and read this as a people of light and just to see what God has to say about darkness in his good kingdom. Let me read this for us. Revelation 21. You can open it up and read if you want. I'm going to skip around a little bit. An angel comes to John. This is Revelation 21.10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. And it had these these great high walls, but with 12 gates kind of representing all the tribes of Israel have a place 
on all who believe. Verse 18, the wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. And the wall on it had every kind of jewel, and the gates were made of pearl. This is verse 21. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And what was the center of everything? Verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk. Verse 25, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Verse 27, and nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Do you guys notice some key phrases in there? Transparent glass, gold, clear as crystal. Guys, the kingdom of heaven, there is no darkness. It's describing a kingdom of absolutely no darkness. Shadows are caused by something blocking the light, something obstructing it, right? This kingdom is lit from the inside out with God himself as the pure source with no obstructions. The reality of God's presence to look forward to is the very real reality that also there's there, no more of what the, the darkness brought in terms of death, sadness, anything and everything that brings people to mourn and grieve over today is all going away. John described this right before he sees this clear kingdom with a light from the inside out. Revelation 21.3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And Jesus, the ruler of all things, declares this, 21.5. And he who is seated on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. Do we believe it? The hope we have in the kingdom of heaven crashing into earth is unmistakable and should make us bold in the darkness. This is the light, the hope that Jesus brought to his people here on earth. But we have to fully realize it, embody it, not just know about it, but to actually be a people that carry that hope, accept that hope, receive that light, to then be that light. And to kind of bring it all back together. And like I said, today is going to be a little different. I'm going to end here in a little bit. We're actually going to go into kind of a guided reflection time together. But before we do that, um, I don't know if you know, but speaking of C.S. Lewis, around a similar time that he wrote um, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, and Lewis wrote many books, he also wrote kind of a semi-autobiography of his conversion story in a book called Surprised by Joy. The winter melting in Narnia, because Aslan was on the move, was also close to how he described himself when he started to actually see and receive 
the light that was coming into the world and know the deep love God had for him. So you can listen and close your eyes, whatever. I just want to read you from his book, his description of the moment when he started to feel the presence of God and how it felt for him. The odd thing was that before God closed in on me, I was in fact offered what now appears a moment of holy free choice, in a sense. I was going up Headington Hill on top of a bus, without words, and I think almost without images, a fact about myself was somehow presented to me. I, came, I became aware that I was holding something at bay or shutting something out, or if you like, that I was wearing some stiff clothing like corsets or even a suit of armor as if I were a lobster. I felt myself being there and then given a free choice. I could open the door or keep it shut. I could unbuckle the armor or keep it on. Neither choice was presented as a duty. No threat or promise was attached to either, though I knew that to open the door or to take off the corset meant the incalculable. The choice appeared to be momentous, but it was also strangely unemotional. I was moved by no desires or fears. In a sense, I was not moved by anything. I chose to open, to unbuckle, to loosen the rein. I say, I chose, yet it did not really seem possible to do the opposite. On the other hand, I was aware of no motives. You could argue that I was not a free agent, but I'm more inclined to think that this came nearer to being a perfectly free act than most that I had ever done. Necessity may not be the opposite of freedom, and perhaps a man is most free when instead of producing motives, he could only say, I am what I do. But then came the repercussion of on the imaginative level, and I put this on the screen. I felt as if I were a man of snow at long last beginning to melt. The melting was starting in my back, drip, drip, and presently trickle, trickle. I rather disliked the feeling. For Lewis, it didn't happen in a moment. It wasn't just instant hope. It wasn't even for him a highly emotional moment, but it was the idea that he grasped with Aslan that God was on the move. Something was happening, meeting him where he was at and slowly but surely starting to thaw the frost, to be a light entering the darkness <clears throat> from the inside out. And this morning, to think through our story from creation to Jesus to new creation with a visual picture of the light shining in the darkness, we're all given the biblical truth that hope remains. That Jesus being the risen forever king means that there's always a light of hope for those who believe in him because he's always on the move. The Christian hope, then, is learning to see, hear, and feel the frost melting because of Jesus Christ. Hope is seeing the darkness go away. Hope is the light, and the light is the life of Christ and Christ alone. <laughs>